Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. Welcome to 2021 and the new Candy Benchmark Research Program year. We've also got lots of events throughout the year and new programs as well, a new learning program as well as benchmark membership. And you can find all of this at thetalentboard.org. Enjoy the podcast. But with the candidates, you can do it at a couple different stages. You kind of look at the abandoned cart and you can kind of look at what point in which maybe you want to pursue that candidate, but they chose to opt out for whatever reason. Offer letter is a really good stage. And so you look at that, that why of offer letter that's been accepted or declined. You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes William Tincup, president of Recruiting Daily and a thought leader at the intersection of HR and technology, who's also a writer, speaker, advisor, consultant, investor, storyteller, and teacher. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. William, it is such a pleasure for you joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are today and what you're doing? Sure. William Tincup, president and editor-at-large for Recruiting Daily. And uh, as you have, we've been studying uh, HR and TA tech for, we, we won't even mention the years at this point. Just gone, but I'm going to, we are in a minute though. I'm going <laughs> to, I got to talk about it, but go ahead. Yeah. So X number of years and half my week is spent talking to practitioners about vendors. And half of my week is talking to vendors about practitioners, there you, well, go. you know, probably much like yourself. It's an interesting week each and every week. So. Oh, of course. And again, we may even delve into this a little bit later, uh, depending on where the conversation goes, but it's been very exciting, I think, in, in HR recruiting technology land. 100%. Uh, it's where all the innovation is. It, I mean, very much. Yeah. There's innovation in compensation and innovation in payroll. It's just not as noticeable as things that we see on a daily basis in recruiting. And again, if you get, in my opinion, if you get recruiting right, HR becomes easier. And if you don't get that right, everything gets harder. So I think there's a reason for that innovation too. Well, because then you got retention issues, which is all that we'll get to that, but I got, we got to go in the way back machine. I won't name it. I promise I won't name the year, but you know, we're good with our past. We have, we are, we've had, we've had our own colored past. And we first met way back in the day when I was first working with Mark Willeman at HR Marketer. And you were with the, then the jet powered group. Which eventually correct. became Star uh, Tencap, Star Conspiracy, as you after you left that flood. But Jet Power Group, Jonathan Goodman. John Goodman, just a superstar guy. Just one of the guys, as you know, because you work with him as well. Just a genuine good guy. If Jonathan were in a different industry and he lived next door, I'd, I'd be friends with him. It's one of those guys. Been a long time doing this. Seen a lot of things come and go. Yeah, we have. We have seen a lot of exciting things, but I, we're going to talk about something specific and we may bounce sure. around. So that's fine. Sure. It's my show and now it's your show. You can do whatever you sure. want. Right. But the first thing I know what we wanted to talk about a little bit, at least was about the fact that what companies do about declined offers and the, and the information that can be gleaned from that of the why of the decline. Right. We look at a lot of things in the, in the talent board candidate experience 
benchmark research that we do. We don't ask the candidates why they declined the offer in our research, right. but we do find out if they they do tell us um, if they did decline. And, and so out of last year, uh, 150,000 plus responses just in North America, about less than 1%, about 900 said that they declined the offer, which is still significant if that's a key hire for your organization at the end of the day. You had mentioned to me Companies should be doing a win-loss analysis around why candidates are declining those offers. So talk to me more about that. And maybe this is some of the work that you've done as well. I've done a little work in here and really what we applied is what we used to do uh, on the sales side. So this is win-loss analysis and sales has been around for a hundred years. But with the candidates, you can do it at a couple different stages. You kind of look at the abandoned cart and you can kind of look at what point in which maybe you want to pursue that candidate, but they chose to opt out for whatever reason. Offer letter is a really good stage. And so you look at that, that why of offer letter that's been accepted or declined. And in both cases, you can gather really great data. If it's a yes, you know, why'd you accept? And could we have done anything different in the process to make it easier or better, blah, blah, blah. With the decline, which I think there's some gold uh, there as well, is asking the same thing. Is there anything, well, first of all, why, why'd you decline? Just give us a, you know, uh, just a general ballpark of what those things are. And again, asking probative, is there anything that we could have done to have changed your mind? And what we really want to find out is, is this a process issue? Is it a person, like a a bad uh, hiring manager or recruiter, so a people issue? Or even some of the things that are outliers, like my wife's situation changed in her job, and so it changed our situation. I wanted to take the job. You know, that's that's what you the best compliment that you could possibly get a, a give a recruiter is I didn't take the job or I didn't get the job, but I love the experience. Mm-hmm. So we want to find out on the negative side where in lies the you know the truth, if you will. And if you do it over across every declined offer letter, you're gonna to start to see some things. And I think that's when you can, as a TA leader, global head of talent or even an HR leader, you can start to apply some rigor to tightening up some of those things, whatever they may be. Maybe it's 60% of the candidates said, you know, it's just timing. Y'all took a long time to get back to us. Always to a me. factor in our, in our data too. Time. Well, if you know that, you know, as a leader, now it's like, okay, we have to get faster and making a decision and then being able to put an offer letter so that we can say, hey, from this stage to the next stage, you're going to receive an offer letter or not within the next 48 hours. Like if we can tell them now we've set some expectations, again, that's all assumptive on the data that you get back. So as you're listening to this as a practitioner, you've just got to be able to go out and survey both those accept and those that decline. And you don't have to ask a trillion questions, just really two or three probative questions around yes or no. If I had my druthers, I would ask hundreds of questions about the employers <laughs> and the candidates, and then we would never have, we would have no research. <laughs> We'd have right. maybe right. one half answered survey overall. We wouldn't get there, but I do know that um, like our tech partner, our survey partner is Surveil. And I yep. know that you you talked to Jason um, oh, yeah. last fall and and I think he was on one of your shows. But one of the things, so survey platforms like that, whether it's Surveil or whatever you use, that you could definitely survey your declined offers and just ask them again, a few 100%. questions, you know, what, what was the, what happened? What was the experience like? How would you rate it? At a related note, I do know we, we ask a lot of questions around the interview experience. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is that when we ask the, the candidates why you withdrew from right. 
the process. Now, candidates do that for a variety of reasons. Sure. Right? Ab- Similar to card. the declined offers too. I got a better Sorry. offer somewhere else. I'm going to stay at my, my current position. Negative reasons. And the number one most negative reason every year in North America, okay. only in North America. I'm, la- I'm leaning in. I'm leaning I know. in. It, it, it does trend. I know. Can you get, there you go. It does trend in the other global regions that we cover, but really only in North America. It's the top. My time was disrespected during interviews and appointments. So that at every single time that's the num- that's the biggest negative reason and you know you can imagine you got two different kinds of disruption too right in the right. high rushes you ha- you have systemic problems that maybe it's an ongoing process issue that you have maybe technology is related or not but then you have transitional like we experienced in covid and suddenly everybody's got to go virtual well something for the practitioners to think about as yeah. as they think about these surveys when we when we say you can you know ask two or three questions you can lay in especially with survey or or, or, or people like that you can lay in conditional logic Sure. Oh, exactly. So that yeah. right, so that if they say I feel like my time was wasted, and they click that, and then underneath that, it's like by the recruiter, by the hiring manager. Exactly. You know, like you can get into the specifics, so yeah. you know where the problem. And I say problem, you know where the issues are, and then the treatment of those issues. Like, what yeah. do you do now once you have that data? You can't do anything if you don't have the data. And that's a key point that you bring up. And I think that there are more and more organizations. I know that you've either worked with or talked with, and that we have over the years. At Talent Board and the Candies is that what's that adage about? You can only change what you measure. I don't. Right, 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 right. Something about a black cat. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I totally lost that one. But, no, no. But I you understand. know what I'm talking about, though. Yes. And being willing, though, to ask. And this is something that actually we find every year still that there are companies who are wary of asking their candidates, even for anonymous feedback. And that's crazy. It's crazy to me. I agree. It's I, like I, asking I customers. Like if you flip that around and you exactly. say, okay, you're Nordstrom and you're going to ask a customer about their experience, positive experience. It could just like their experience and just, you know, there is no positive or negative. Just what was your experience? And again, you can add, you can do that in an online way with an abandoned cart. Somebody that goes in, clicks some things, you know, like, and then they leave. It's totally appropriate to send them a note and say, notice you left some things in your cart. Is there anything we could have done, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Why we can't do that or why we, you know, we're not, there's not an invasion of privacy. And in fact, I think candidates see it as respect. Like this is a company trying to get better. They're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And again, if, as long as you're not asking them for an hour of their time or, or something like that, I can't see any logic for not doing surveys of your candidates. Exactly. Our survey only takes um, two and a half hours to, to complete. So it, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't take that long. It just <laughs> takes minutes because we have logic built into ours too. So the, right. the candidates only answer as far as they got. But that's interesting. And I think there's a negative sentiment in the foundation, no matter what happens, because well, this is the business of no in recruiting. You're saying right. no a lot heck of a lot more times than you're saying yes to individuals. Right. So there, it's going to skew negative. We see it every year in our data. That's just the reality at the end of the day. But the fact of the matter is, is that to know where a potential breakdown is, and it always comes down to communication. We, at least we see 100%. it's communication 100%. and expectation setting and so many other things that we find every year. Everybody gets the hate mail still. Recruiters right. still hate mail every day. I hate you. You right. suck. I mean, but we're thick-skinned 
talent acquisition pros. And I saw my, my joke for folks when we're talking about the, the comments that they get, but they're gonna, you're gonna also get the comments like, you know what, I'm bummed I didn't go any further. I'm bummed I didn't get hired, but you told me what was going to happen next. That's right. There yeah. wasn't a the black box, which, you know, there wasn't the uh, resume submitted and then nothing happened. If we're in the business uh, as recruiters of, of rejection management, then we should be good at communicating yeah. rejection. Yeah. Um, and, and again, obviously there's going to be wins and we're going to hire people, but, it, but by and large, those are the, the salmon that make it upstream and not all the salmon make it up the stream. So yeah. we've got to get great at managing rejection and managing the communication and, and all of all that, because again, it's just like if there were customers and, you know, just, just if, if you flip that and you say candidates or customers, employees or customers, exactly, then yeah. all the logic makes sense. It does. And I, but there, and there are, I mean, not only in our candy community, I mean, there's organizations that, you know, may not even participate in our benchmark research that have been doing continuous feedback for right. who knows how long. And they're asking, I mean, different, all the, you know, the, a lot of the ATSs have yep. that functionality where you can ask, yep. you know, one, two, three, four, five questions about their, their experience at different points in the process. So this is all stuff that's available and, and more companies are doing it, which is good. And I'm shocked uh, that the, the features are in there and been, have been in there for years and people don't turn them on i know that that's always that is a mind blower to me too that that that's there and it's and it's just it's data you have to also and i think this is part part of the hesitation is not so much oh i don't want to hear that negativity from our Mm -hmm. candidates and i want i don't want to know what i don't know even though i can tell you this though william Mm -hmm. most of the ta teams that we've worked with over the years that there very rarely is the data surprising to them right course very very rare. they know and and not just their weaknesses but their strengths too of right. what of what they are maybe doing well they have that idea but having then that data behind them then they can go we need to do x y and z with our process we need to update our candidate communications we need to look at our job descriptions we need to get that dang chatbot going on the career site whatever that is i think covid kevin has created a wonderful opportunity for folks that were on the fence for whatever yeah. reason agreed that then they can jump off the fence and say, "Hey, we're doing remote hiring. We're not all of our team isn't in the in the same area or the same office. We're hiring for remote. We need more insight. So even if they were on the fence before, they can actually use this pandemic as a, a as a way of changing that and going. You know, we're just going to get feedback, and yeah, we'll know some of these things, and yeah, it'll affirm or reaffirm what we already knew, or it will surprise us. Which again, in y'all's research every year, there's always a surprise." There is. And there's also always very consistent issues. There's, there's, and the surprise that we saw this last year was the fact that companies were put into this forced level of transparency, like they had never really been in, in a very, very quick time, right? Like hitting March 13th. Yeah, hit, exactly. Hitting the wall at 60 miles an hour. My youngest always reminds me that March 13th, 2020 (laughs) was the last day of school. Friday the 13th for them. But anyway, we did see what's interesting is that not only was there a greater level of empathic communication happening between employers and candidates, but also their own employees, because everybody was trying to figure out what to do and how to move forward. And, and, you know, some industries fared better than others, but there was a higher level of positive sentiment that we were not expecting to see. I hope that stays. I so do uh, I. I agree. I hope some of it stays too, right? I agree with right. that. And so we'll we'll see what happens in 2021. We're already starting to gather data for this year. I wanted to 
make sure that we, what else are you, are you hearing? What challenges are you hearing with, with TA teams today as it relates to their processes, their technologies? We can talk about technology. So, what are- so what's interesting is all the major TA vendors that you and I love, um, they went uh, into a place last year where they went in the lab. So the, the greenhouses and levers and phenoms, all of the great, all of those folks, they didn't release a lot of new stuff to their clients last year because clients were just trying to figure out how to kind of the business was going to go, whether or not they were going to hire a lot of all this stuff. So releasing new stuff, even though they were working on it and had been working on it. So in some technology companies, they were going deeper into analytics and some companies are going deeper into DNI. And right. in some companies that were going, you know, more into the candidate experience and, and having a better, making sure that people have a better experience on the front end, as well as for recruiters and hiring managers. So what we're seeing now in February is a release of all of those things that they they were cooking up in the lab last year. And so like every day, there's a new press release of a new thing. And a lot of it's just pent up because now their customers can handle it. Right. Because they feel like they've got a grasp on what's sure. going on and the market's kind of slowly coming back. And now they can handle the consumption of new technology. That's why there's an onslaught of all these press releases with new features and functionality that they didn't just build it last week. They worked on it in September of last year, but they did they couldn't release it. Or they or chose it, it, it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna benefit their business. And, uh, and, and were or worse, it would it would actually detract. It would right. it would make customers throw their hands up and and not want to to, to work with them. We're consuming a lot of technology, new technologies from established players, and then yeah. add in all the new players, the, the startups that are doing really cool, yeah. innovative things too. So if you sit at the desk of a global head of TA, you're dealing with, you know, the business is more stable and you understand kind of the game of remote hiring at a better level. But this technology onslaught is relentless. Yeah, it is. And overwhelming for most, even the geekiest of TA practitioners. And the good and bad news of that is that there's, again, there's a lot of exciting things that are coming out. And there's actually a lot of, I mean, things that added functionality. It wasn't Elon Musk, but it was like, oh, that makes sense that you added that now. 100%. Every one of the CRMs and ATS all have a maturity model, a hiring maturity model, right? Right. That's good information to understand. If you're at this place, here's what your team should look like. Here are the process that should be baked, et cetera. Like I did a a Jobvite released a uh, a bit. It was a job description grader. Again, something that you and I would have probably thought of 15, 20 years ago. But it's not new either because there have been on the market already. That's right. But again, it's one of those things that, but they made it free. What I liked about this particular th- bit sure. is they made it free. Like you could just go as a person, go and cut and copy your job, just drop it in there. But the product inside Jobbyte is different and will be different. And they'll have more features and functionality, but that's one little bitty tiny thing. Sure. And we could pick any vendor and do the exact same thing uh, that they, that like smart recruiters released a DNI kit. So this is a kit. Like this is like yeah. a living, breathing, here's your document yeah. and here's here's a map. You really want to tackle DNI, here are the things that you need to do. Like that stuff has been being worked on for months. But it's cool to actually see and consume. I just 
can't help but think that for geeks like you and I, we love that stuff. But if we were working at a desk, we else, you know, had a hundred recruiters and they each had 40 recs or some crazy stuff like that. I'm probably not as excited about all this technology. No, right. I mean, it's right. I need something that's going to scale and impact quickly. And I mean, there's lots of considerations there for that, but you know, and you've got paradox or set video, go figure, right? That's cool. I mean, no, no, it is. Again. I mean, it, it it is cool. I installed a garbage disposal. <laughs> right. See that. That's, I did it again. The t- tidal wave of technology. I did, my watch. My wife and I did it together. But I, right. I I did do that, and I know we were joking about that before the podcast. But I do think it is exciting, and there's some. It is. There's some very, very cool things. Some of the, even the newer players, Eightfold and the list goes on that, uh, and Seek Out and just exciting things, whether it's targeted sourcing, whether it's, you know, communication technology, CRM, even, you know, ATSs that have come a long way. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've seen waves of this. So the cool thing about being in the industry for a long time, it's like waves on a beach. We saw some of the first ATSs come to market, the second ATSs come to market. And just each time they come to market, they come to market in a different way. And it's better. And it it does get better. But it it does kind of feel like deja vu, you know, where you've seen a brand new ATS. You're like, well, is any of that really new? Mm, Kind of. Kind of some. Now, so it depends on what they're doing with machine learning and NLP and, and AI and some of the other stuff. So newer technologies, but just basically you're still managing a process that has a component of compliance and it has at least recruiters, hiring managers, candidates, and sourcers in it. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you manage the experience of all those people? Exactly. And as George LaRock loves the way I put this very technical term, there's, you know, on the business side, there's been a buttload of money pouring into tech into HR and recruiting tech. Last year did take a little bit of a hit in recruiting because it always happens when you have right. a downturn. But still, though, the past few years in, in, in aggregate, lots of opportunity. And we still continue to see that not only the consolidation that's happening, it's it, it, it's just exciting. And again, there's a lot of really good things. And you're right about, I mean, even Phenom, right? I remember back when it was early days with Phenom people. And yep. now that they're all about managing all the experiences for you. Yeah trying to be more of that platform. So there's just so many things that that are, and I think that's important to note because I know that I talk about candidate experience a lot and all the time, right. but you you have to take into consideration the, the recruiters and what their roles and their jobs are on a regular basis, as well as that interaction with the hiring managers. And I know that's something that we're going to take more of, more of a look at this year, talent board perspective, but that even if it's out of the purview of talent acquisition, the hiring managers impact a lot of stuff. 100% because if it, if done well, it continues past onboarding and into performance and learning and, and some of the, um, what we would have traditionally called talent management yeah. stuff, right? But recruiters and hiring managers have a play in internal mobility or, yeah. or just mobility, you know, like literally, you know, at the front end, you're bringing them in the door, down the road, you're trying to find some other thing for them. And, and again, it's a different way of looking at engagement retention. Yeah. We used to look at this hard line of demarcation of the recruiter's job stopped at onboarding. Like it's just done. Like, you you know, you passed it over, HR took it and it's like, okay, I'm back over here. And uh, I think- There are companies that still have that delineation. I know. But- They shouldn't because you right. have to constantly re-recruit to retain. And internal, but internal mobility though is getting differentiated more. In, it is inside. It, and the recruiters that do it well 
even in those companies where they don't necessarily, they have that line of demarcation, the recruiters, even in those situations, still keep up with their candidate, freshly minted new, new employee. And because onboarding, when you and I would have been onboarded 100 years ago, it was a binder. And it was a, a couple hours, maybe a day, signing some documents. Okay, you're onboarded. Good. It was a scroll. Yeah. <laughs> you unraveled. And yeah. yeah that bit in the history of the world, part one. You had to break one. the wax seal. You had to yeah. break the wax seal on it. To, no, it, yeah, not that old. I, uh, Lord, I give you these 15, <laughs> 10, 10 commandments. That was, that was onboarding right there. Exactly. Mar- marble tablet, uh, marble right. tablets. But well, listen, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I was just saying the better, the better recruiters stay with that person for a while. Yes. Just to make sure that they believe they made the right decision. They also reaffirm that they made the right decision and also look for other things. They're looking for, hey, if it's not a fit, but you love the company, let me go find something else for you. They're also looking to fill internal mobility positions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is great, William. I love, love, always love talking with you and it it could totally keep going. But what I do, what I do want to know is what's coming up for Recruiting Daily and and William Tinkup. What, what are you excited about? this year? Is there something that you want to share with us that you're involved in or what's going on? So uh, it it isn't publicly announced, but it will be here in uh, in about a week. But we've acquired, merged, and brought on Mark Pfeffer in uh, the HCM Technology Report. Oh, did you really? Oh, nice. So Mark's joined uh, the team and uh, he's, he's a partner like Ryan, Larry, and Noel. What's cool for me is since I joined Recruiting Daily, I've been dumped more into recruiting, even though my, my I care about everything, right? I yeah. care from sourcing out placement yeah. like, like you do. So now with Mark joining the team, it gives me an outlet to go talk to compensation and payroll and all of these other tools that I've always that I've still want to talk to. So and he's gonna he'll take over as editor in chief of both recruiting daily and uh, the HCM technology report. So basically two media things kind of coming together and uh, we'll be able to go across the cycle, the the talent cycle of candidate, employee, and alumni. Very cool. We've been working on it for a while and he's a great, you you know him, he's know, a great yeah. guy. He's a very good guy. His strengths are all of our weaknesses. Got it. Like I don't like to write and people contact me every day like they do you with press releases <laughs> about something. <laughs> I know. And I'll turn it into a podcast, but I don't like to write. Mark loves to write. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's, and he's got a journalistic background, which will really help us as well. So really looking forward to the changes that he's going to make and kind of the imprint that he's going to have on both, you know, the HCM technology report, but also for us as well. That is, that's great. That's exciting. I'll have to make sure. Yeah. Giving my best too. That's that's awesome, William. The last thing I always like to ask all my guests is because sure. we're, we're always working all the time. It's always about work, 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 work. But and I can probably know some of the answer to this question that I'm about to ask. But what else does William like to do besides work? In a normal situation, it would be you know anything related to my kids, right? Sure. So having boys, uh, eleven and fifteen respectively, the weekends are filled right. with going and doing stuff, scouts, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And so, you know, without that, I get to see, I'm not traveling. And so I get to see them more often mm-hmm. and we're not doing those things, but we've turned that into a nightly workout where we go out, uh, you know, in our game room and we, we work out and it's kind of a fun bit. Uh, it's something my dad never did with me. He made me work out, like go mow the grass workout. That was different. <laughs> like, but you know, to get people on a treadmill and we have sure. a punching dummy yeah. and, you know, lifting weights and stuff like that. It's it's good for them, but it's also good to be around them. You know, from a vice perspective, I have 
uh, cigars and basically a liquor cabinet to to off screen. We have uh, pictures. <laughs> we have yeah. an Instagram channel with those. I, I, I love it when my doctors ask me, "Do you smoke?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> Prove that I did. Don't look at Instagram, but there yeah, you no, go. No. Exactly. Exhibit, nope. exhibit A. William nope. smoking nope. a cigar. But yeah, for the vices, I, I you know, I'm, I'm one of those people. I love cigars. Always have. Even when yeah. I was in high school, love cigars. And so I haven't met a category of liquor that I don't love. So you know, in moderation, I usually do it down at our lake house. Sure. I don't really smoke as much up here just because it's our, our house isn't set up that way. But down there, you literally have a patio, a full concrete patio looking out at the lake. It, it, it kind of makes you outside of just staring at the water and you know watching people fish. It kind of, you're, you're in a really good place to then smoke a cigar. So I was going to say, you know, and or, or while you're on the treadmill. <laughs> so that that could no don't do that no that's it it's uh no, i appreciate you sharing with me i mean being an ex-smoker myself i'm i'm yes. like i'm like going oh that's great good for you no uh, i could never smoke cigarettes i know and that and that's I a could, good thing I, you, you never I, did so i i could never i could never do it my it's, friends did it and i would do it when i was a monkey on much. the back brother that's a big old monkey on the back that it, it, as they say in addiction land yep. that it is it's tough it's yes. tough and um but you know i my wife told me my now wife she smoked occasionally too when we were first right. and then we quit right. she quit and then and she said listen we're not going to get married unless you quit i don't like giving people ultimatums but that's kind of where I'm at. Good for her. Yeah, no, and she's and she's right. And it was one of the most difficult things in my life I've ever had to do. Hundred percent. Very, 100%. very difficult. And but I, you know, that was 2002. And fast forward to now, and I'm so thankful because all the things we've been doing, but my, me and my family and my girls, all the time we've been together, like you and your family, yeah. it has been great. And we're always active and doing all these things. And so it's super important, but I've heard from folks that have quit smoking, especially if they've smoked for a while, that it's, it's like kicking heroin. Or, it is. Or, it was, or, it was or, super, it's super tough. Cause it's not, it wasn't just the physical right addiction part it was well that's a big part of it too of course because right. it binds like heroin does in your head right, right but it was it was the psychological of why when you smoke and i mean you know listen if yeah. i could have had like you have you partake in a cigar with a with a lovely beverage at your lake house right that, that's one thing that's a different bit yeah. but, but not when you're waking up and going smack smack yeah exactly well i worked with a guy in cleveland that rolled up post-it notes and I remember he rolled them up and, and, you know, it was just a hollow post-it note, but he rolled it up and he would just have it in his hand all day long. And occasionally he'd put it to his mouth, but, but really it was, it was just, he had something in his hand because for him, it was so used to having a cigarette in his hand. He had to replace that like right. physically. And, uh, he did that for like two years, your wife, you know, in her decision to help you with getting off cigarettes, she added years to your life. Like she just gave you back years of your life, which oh, is absolutely. fantastic. The, the last thing I'll, I'll leave you with, because I did, it didn't actually, I, I didn't quit because of it, but I'll never forget what I learned. So going nicotine anonymous, very similar to all right. the anonymouses. And the one thing that I remember is the, the only choice that you have is not to do it. And that's, I always took that it. with me. And I think that I, I apply that to a lot of things in my life. But when you have an addictive personality, the only choice you have is not to do it. That's, that's right. There's no half. Do it, it's not a choice anymore. 
That's right. There's yeah. no, and, and you know, some people, my dad quit. Let that be cold. a lesson to you kids at home <laughs> right now. Well, my dad quit cold turkey and my wife, excuse me, my, my mom, she weaned herself off. So sure. she went from like two packs to half, sure. two and a half, one and a half to one, whatever. But you know, some people can, they don't have that addictive part of their personality where they can have one cigarette. Of they course. just have one cigarette and then like. You know, two months later, maybe have a cigarette, but not most smokers because nicotine is so addictive. Uh, not most people. But that's okay because now it's, it's, there's rainbows and unicorns. Giant glitter. And there's glitter and there's the candies <laughs> and there's recruiting daily. And so, William, thank you so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. I, it, it's always 100%. a pleasure and I look forward to, to seeing you in person, hopefully soon, maybe later this year. So, hopefully so. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.